listening to this Q&A podcast. Hear more podcasts like it at goeerie.com slash topics slash podcasts. I remember from that time leading up to that day, always aware and conscious of what was happening in America to people of color because my parents were involved. I came from a large family. My parents were involved in social justice issues, NAACP, and uh, having kids, teenage kids. I have 10 siblings. There were 11 of us. Um, We were always involved and aware of what was going on, not just across the country, but in our own community. And at the time that Dr. King was assassinated uh, was a uh, time of... uh, of a, of, a, of a busy time in Erie regarding race relations. Uh, in 1968, there that summer there were riots in Detroit and Newark and places like that, and we had our skirmishes and our disagreements and misunderstandings in Erie also. And so when Dr. King um, was assassinated, it was like, boom, a powder keg went off. And that there was an explosion across the country that uh, from the young people and and even from people who didn't necessarily agree with Dr. King, uh, the sheer, ugly, hateful uh, nature of the way his life was taken as a young man uh, and the way it was taken and by who it was taken and how in America, how that person was able to get away, and how the truth uh, may never really be known. What really happened uh, is a scar and a pain on the people that uh, my age and generation that were aware of what happened at that time and know that uh, the truth has still not been told about what really happened on April 4th, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee and who was responsible. Dr. King had said uh, he feared for his life. He, leading up to that, his, his uh, last speech, he talked about it. He, he, feared, hey, he feared for his life. Hey, Jack. Sorry. Happy New Year. Here, we'll pause. Yeah. Good, sir. Good. Good to see you. Okay, so as we were, as you were saying, you know, you, he knew that he was, he was, he had said publicly that he was afraid for his life. He was threatened. Mm-hmm. He took it seriously. The I can't imagine the rhetoric of today having that rhetoric at that time, and uh, it's almost unbelievable that today we have that kind of rhetoric coming out of the president of our country. Uh, can you imagine it? Uh, at that time when Dr. King feared for his life, this man of peace, this person that organized nonviolent demonstrations, and the person he was the Prince of Peace, and uh, for him to lose his life in that manner was uh, was just a devastating thing for the country and very hurtful. And I think there are a lot of people who still carry the scars of that. So, kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, you you were talking about your parents and your mm-hmm. family. Share with me, give me give me a little bit of, of detail about your family dynamic and what it was like for you growing up. Um, I was fortunate enough to have parents, loving, compassionate, and patient parents who were high on education and discipline. Uh, the uh, proper medicine. For raising kids and uh, my parents believe that we have to raise our 
children so that other people can stand them. And uh, so we were always engaged. My parents were engaged with us. We were, we were, uh, we didn't know we were poor, and uh, because we were always involved in activity, there was always people in and out of our homes. The new people who came uh, into the community always found a way. The students from Gannon, um, we became a like a safe haven or a happy haven for a lot of people. And uh, we were raised right across the street from a church name, First Good Samaritan AME Zion Church, and the pastor of that church, Reverend uh, Ernest Franklin Smith, uh, was responsible for resettling um, new Americans at that time, people of color, uh, from Mississippi and Alabama, finding them homes and jobs, and he had a partnership with a gentleman by the name of H.O. Hurt uh, from Erie Insurance that really helped uh, uh, facilitate that and so the Hertz have always had a special relationship with people of color in our community as being people who cared about uh, the concerns and uh, they uh, and so so that's the kind of community and neighborhood I grew up in where we were Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts we played Little League Baseball Little Gritters football my parents were involved in the PTA you know, uh, just, you know, uh, they said, I don't mind is the devil's workshop. So they kept us through the family and through the church active and involved. And we had a sense of social responsibility, that we had a responsibility to be involved, to be engaged, to get good grades, to behave in school. You know, we had a responsibility uh, to do that. And it was almost in our culture. And so... Um, so that's the household, the kind of neighborhood and, um, and environment that I grew up in, uh, recognizing that uh, our community was not perfect, um, but uh, provided an opportunity for us through education and discipline that we, we had hopes and dreams. We had dreams of going to college and dreams of being people in that. And, um, you know, that's a very important thing to me. And that because I think a lot of people take hope for granted and they just think everyone has it. And uh, because they have it and their children have it, they don't see the need or the necessity to invest in hope for others. And um, I think that's one of the missing ingredients in some of the challenges that we face in our community today, that people don't believe, they don't have hope. And we can argue all day long why they should have it and to blame them for not having it. But at the end of the day, they're not having it uh, hurts us all. And so I'm one that advocates uh, some investment on in hope. I think there's it, it, you, you reap returns far beyond uh, your imagination, uh, which you thought could happen when people themselves believe and what they can do to help themselves and that, that the whole world is not against them and that there are resources and opportunities out there for them. And uh, it takes effort and initiative and buy-in in order to uh, un- to discover them and then take advantage of them. Um, but I see that all is positive and constructive and a, and a way forward uh, within the kind of community that we live today where there's so much disparity. And, uh, and that. my parents, if they were alive today, uh, along with some of the other past presidents of the local branch of the NAACP, if they were alive today, they'd be disappointed in Erie 
when my mom was education chairman of the NAACP, for instance, back in 1967, um, out of 800 and some odd number of teachers in the Erie School District, there were only nine blacks. Today, in the city of Erie, out of over 800 and something teachers, you have only nine nine blacks. And that, and that, that to me, uh, speaks to um, not being able to um, uh, nurture, plant, nurture, and grow uh, aspirations out of children of color. And that to the value of education and, and what they can get out of it when you're not putting people in front of them who look like them. And that who can share with them uh, the challenges that they overcame in order to get college educated. And no one gave it to them. And that uh, they had to qualify to do that. And uh, their example in itself is motivation for somebody else from around this community. If they can do it, I can do it too. And um, so, but we have still have those kind of problems in our community today, I think, are my parents and previous NAACP presidents would kind of be disappointed or discouraged that for as far as we've come, uh, we still haven't come very far at all in some of the in some of the areas or with some of the issues that have been consistent, minority hiring, minority employment, you know, access to the unions, access to public sector jobs, school district, county, city government, state government. Those are, are things that uh, people in the civil rights community would be kind of disappointed in this urban community that we have the kind of disparities that we have that exist today. It's exactly. almost like back in the 1960s. Right. And that's kind of where I was going. I was That was my follow-up question to this were, you know, do you feel you come from a family, obviously, of socially engaged people? I mean, even your brother, Andre, still mm-hmm. very socially engaged right now. Um you know, do you do your goals? Do you, do you, your thoughts and your ideas line up with like kind of what your parents like? How do they differ? How does it differ from generation to generation? Do you feel? If I were to ask you, what would you want for Erie? Do you feel like your mother and your father would have answered the same? I, I looked at the goals my dad had when he was elected president of the NAACP in 1985. He was 61 years old. And they're, they're similar to the same goals I have today. And that we have to grow the organization, increase the membership, um, find more jobs for minorities, new Americans, and that not only city or county government, but in the private sector. I mean, funding for the neighborhood centers. I mean, these are some of the same goals that my dad had in 1985. And that it's discouraging to be able to have grandchildren. And, you know, their granddad was fighting the issues. Same fight that you're Their great granddad was fighting the same issues that their granddad is fighting. Now. Right. So my goal is for my grandchildren not to have to fight this same battle. And that, and I think Erie has failed. If we can, if we love the distinction or think it doesn't uh, matter or it's not important. Uh, whether it's perception or real, that African Americans, for African Americans, that this is the worst city in America is believable to a lot of people of color who live here. 
not blaming anyone or whatever and that I just feel that there's no hope and so with the development and all the advancement that we've seen for that segment of the community to be no closer to it demonstrated by this example of the teachers that I gave you from 1967 and that we have the same number of black teachers in Erie, Pennsylvania in 2018 that we had in 1967. Well, who would not believe the art, the story in that? So I, I've i got to want what my parents wanted. I've got to wonder if uh, which way is the best way to get that. And that I've grown up in America. I've tried every way. And I believed every idea or every initiative that the broader community launched that said it was going to benefit us. And yet I still sit here wondering what, where it went wrong. And, uh, and insulted that we have to defend um, initiatives or ideas that we think will help us. And that, that we have to defend it. We have to prove that it will work. And then we have to fund it as if we don't pay taxes, right. as if we don't buy policies, right. as if we don't, uh, you know, have uh, insurance, or as if we don't have retirement, as if we don't pay, so, as if we don't do all of those other things. And that now still prove it. It's your own fault that you're on the bottom. You got to pull yourself up by your, all of those things. Those are devastating to the mental um uh, motivation of too many people and that that's not good it doesn't benefit us we can build up downtown from the waterfront to as far as we want to and just keep pushing the poor and the people of color further inward where we can't see them we can build highways that go around them where we don't have to go through their neighborhood we, we don't have to see them we don't have to act like they're there we can close bridges of safe passage by their account that represent a symbol of hope, like the McBride Viaduct, and say, let's hurry up and get it down, but, uh, no matter how they feel, and that uh, we can continue to do those things. And it, um, so, you know, to me, there's what I want Erie to do is invest in hope. You'll get a return on your investment that uh, beyond your imagination. If you're tired of uh, Erie having the uh, designation of being the worst city if you're tired of the stories that the newspaper keeps reporting about poverty and that if you're tired of uh, the just the lack of uh, of hope and the apathy and all those things that people of color and uh, the, the young and the poor have then maybe we will try to do something different or something in addition to what we've been trying to do that has not been working what we're trying to do is educate the community. And again, the NAA, I'm trying to grow the NAACP. Yeah. I, tell me, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, you're, Jack, do you no, need no, us to? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, your, your dad, your mom, everyone was socially engaged. Talk to me. It seems like, and I don't, this might be me being a little bit biased, but it seems like the NAACP, since you took over, has been more um, present, more hands-on in the Erie community uh, with the CBAs, kind of, you know, really fostering and pushing for that. You know, uh, do you, is, that, is this something that you kind of are, you're going to be more act. You're going to make the group more active. Is this something that you kind of want? You want them at the front of people's minds. I, I agree with all of that, and in addition to that, 
collaboration is the key to our our being effective and uh, getting buy-in from other organizations and people. Uh, so we're so membership is important, and we've been able to expand them, almost double the membership, and launch a youth Great. branch. And we want to educate and organize people at the same time. But uh, collaboration is a two-way street, and so when the coke plant people come and be a part of the NAACP because they see us a part of trying to make the coke plant better environmental justice issue that impacts people who we are as a part of our mission to look out for or when the Erie School District uh, through their new equity and inclusion officer uh, wants to go out and recruit more minority teachers and other positions within there and that why we support something like that while we walk in the peace march you know with the Benedictines while we go to take back the site with the Benedictines and the Sisters of Mercy and the Jehoshaphites while we uh, collaborate uh, with the three neighborhood centers, Booker T, JFK, Martin Luther King Center, because we've discovered that we're native of the community for the first time in the history of the community, a new paradigm from where we sit. Not negative or to put down anyone else, but we've inherited these assets that our parents fought to build. And that that we've gone and got education and training, and now we sit in them with no resources and that and no capacity. And that with the and understanding the magnitude more than anybody of the problem because we grew up in it, we came out of it, and we feel the pressure every day from the from the people who do have hope. That haven't in us mm-hmm. because they see where we're at, and uh, so they so we join the NAACP, and that uh, and with the new leadership at the African American Concerned Clergy, mm-hmm. and that and so we believe that uh, the only road to success is one of collaboration and inclusion, and if we want that from the private sector and from the public sector, then we've got to demonstrate that ourselves, and so yes, you see a greater, vibrant, more assertive more educated, more informed, more enthusiastic, more motivated, more hopeful uh, organization that's trying to, uh, to, to build a youth component uh, that will uh, be more successful than we have been. I feel uniquely qualified for this opportunity, having grown up in a family that has been involved. Having worked for the mayor of Erie as a special assistant for 10 years, having run successfully a a community development corporation that my friend Bob Barney and I founded, uh, along with Dr. Uh, Ross Anthony Snow, uh, 18, 19 years ago. And that having the success of that, I feel uniquely qualified uh, for it. And that having served eight years on the Erie School Board, and that to uh, try to carry the uh, interests of minorities forward and the people of color forward and that. And so I feel uniquely qualified for such a time like this. You know, it's not a time to fight. It is a time to stand up. It is a time to assert ourselves. It is a time to reflect that uh, police-only approaches don't work. And that, and that uh, the investment in Unified Erie, for instance, uh, a lot of uh, people of color see it as a police-only approach. And that and some of us prescribe more to a broader community approach that the housing authority uses. They use the same police of the city of Erie in community policing, but they provide language classes. They provide GED. They provide computers. 
They uh, provide cultural programs. They provide community service opportunities. They provide scholarships for, uh, to go to private schools. They, they provide uh, scholarships to go to college. They provide summer jobs for kids. You know, they provide daycare. They provide access to medical care and that. It's a holistic approach to building hope and keeping crime down. And they have the safest neighborhoods in Erie. And so you have philosophically people like the new mayor uh, saying I'm going to invest in uh, double down on unified Erie and community policing. And we do embrace that. But when you come into our places or circles like the three neighborhood centers, Quality Life Learning Center and that, you find a different population of students in that. And we have a different uh, uh, agenda or uh, prescription to motivate them and, and get them upward and that. So it's no put down of a unified area approach and that, but there, what is the motivation to stop doing what we're doing and embrace that and that? And so we have to find room for them both. And so I, I, I think what the mayor is saying when he wants to have a better working relationship with the three neighborhood centers and the, and the uh, neighborhood organizations and that, and that he wants to address the needs that they have. He recognizes that they contribute to the upper betterment. I think we're, you know, we're talking about uh, how we can better leverage uh, the, uh, the motivation to create a better police community relationship, have more trust between the public sector and the uh, citizens, uh, whether it be police or the people that you come in and pay your bill to, you know, and that uh, they all work for the community and that. So we believe that through this mayor, we have an opportunity to achieve those things if he has a broad view as as he's been espousing. He's been coming out and meeting with us and uh, we hear him in the public sector saying that and we believe that um, maybe together again through another collaboration or different kind of collaboration with the, uh, with the city that we're on the right track for a better Erie uh, sooner than later. That's encouraging. Um, so I'm going to switch gears right now and kind of talk more focus on MLK and taking a look at civil rights right now in the U.S. and in Erie. How or can we apply kind of what he said in his dream and his vision to today's world, like today's society? You and I both know that it's polarized. There's two different, you know what I mean? It's two different groups, and it's almost like you can't, you can't really, like politically, culturally, socially, you can't come out and say a point of view without taking a hit somewhere. Well, I every person has to defend that themselves. Right. But we live in a so-called democracy where the majority is supposed to rule, and yet it appears that a minority is ruling, and we have a minority viewpoint that rules. I refuse to believe that the ugly and the hate that is coming out is the majority view of this great country of ours. I don't believe that. And, and I believe the people who give so much credibility and credit to that narrow group is beyond anything they deserve. They didn't do it with President Barack Obama when he had uh, core support. His core support, it didn't matter. They demanded that he go out and expand, get more. He had more than 32 or 33 percent core support in that. I mean, there was no, you know, so there's been an acceptance and a march towards uh, letting go as opposed to uh, fighting for our democracy 
and and what's right that way. So I I think Martin Luther King's way, uh, even here in Erie, some of us have tried to do that. We have peaceful, nonviolent marches or direct actions and they were trying to mobilize people and educate people and and talk about what we have in common we see that there are more of us than them and maybe it's good that they've been brought out of the bushes or into the light but let's not give them too much light they're not the majority we have to remember that the majority of americans still want to, this to be an inclusive a society, a democratic society, a fair society where everybody can grow up believing they have a chance and that where it's not the poorest this or the poorest that or the per- poorest whatever when we ha- live amongst the uh, affluent uh, uh, individuals and corporations in this country. It just doesn't match up. And, that, and so I believe people like Dr. Martin Luther King would be fighting big business, would be demanding more out of government. Uh, would have an expectation of that. Uh, I believe they would still be nonviolent and still be peaceful. We we subscribe to that. So there's a I w- would still do the same thing. But we also understand, just like in Dr. King's experience, there are some people out there that don't like that. They don't want you to be peaceful. They don't want you to be nonviolent. Uh, they don't want you to say anything. Uh, they want and and by doing that, they can rule with the minority that they have. And the the biggest threat to their doing that is the majority of us recognizing there are more of us than there are of them. So his 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 core values outside of the non or the nonviolent peaceful marches, you know, his vision, his dream, is that still relevant today, do you think? I in my conversations with African Americans here locally, the the um, the clergy and that they feel that the focus by the majority on his dream is a feel-good part of the speech of dr king for themselves and they don't research the man any deeper to find out what else did he say whatever speech did he have what other challenge did he make what other position you know and that because there are lots of them and so for the minorities we're tired of the dream and that it's a deferred dream. It's an empty dream. There's no hope in that dream uh, amongst people that have uh, either given up or just figured, hey, not in my lifetime. And that so, uh, yes, it's something we try to get the kids to march to. And how long will they recognize it's an empty dream? And then we have to focus on some other things. That Doc, he took a position against the Vietnam War, and why? And that he paid a price for it. There are people who believe that cost him his life more than the fact that he was out here, so-called militant or rabble rouser, you know. And that he stood up for the poor. He had a poor people's march, and that uh, that uh, organized to go to Washington D.C. There are people who didn't want that to happen. There is a. A man by the name of Reverend William Barber who's trying to recreate that Poor People's March to uh, D.C. And he was the leader of Moral Mondays in North Carolina. Hmm. He was the president of the North Carolina branch of the NAACP. And he's a person we're trying to bring to Erie, Pennsylvania next fall. Um, One of the goals that I have is to bring the state NAACP conference to Erie next fall. And so I'm going to Harrisburg uh, before the end of this month 
to talk to the NAACP officials about doing that. I'm preparing a bid for Erie, Pennsylvania to bring them to Erie in October 2018 and bring Dr. Barber here as our featured speaker and that uh, so those are the things that King did that's the way he moved the community along that's how he educated and organized the people and using the tools and the resources available and that's what we're trying to do today um, for 25 years I've been taking kids to Birmingham yep. right, well, that's where I was going next and well that I get excited and uh, I'm glad you had the recorder because uh, I know I talk fast and it's kind of, it's hard for me to tamp down my excitement and just, okay, give you a reporter answer, I guess, Absolutely for the not. questions I in that. But, but you can see I have tapes that our youth, we're going to, on January 25th, we have our NAACP meeting, but we're going to show a video that some of our youth created with a grant that the House of Mercy and Sister Michelle Shrek did. We're going to show it. It's on racism and justice and that, but they, they did it here. Cool. And, um, we, they did it last summer. Um, so some of those kids have gone on walking in black history. And that, so we want to use some of the resources that we have to start a some kind of video series or something that uh, we can, we got these big TVs now that we can throw them up there and provide some popcorn or something for the kids. And that. At that church that the press conference was at, is it AME Methodist that's over oh, We can do that here. Oh, I mean, there's oh, a big TV here. You, you know, go. we got one, there you know, go. but yeah. we're, we're certainly willing to do those things. That's a great idea Yeah, to move them around big. to the churches that have that. Right. And that, so then they could, we could tap into their population as opposed to trying, thank you so much. <laughs> so good, Just yeah. helping out. That's how collaboration works. Right, but, exactly. Yes. So um, talking about the Washington <laughs> Black history, mm-hmm. do you feel like, you know, some of these teenagers and some of the kids that you bring on the trip, do you feel like they really, like, take away from those I mean do you feel like it sticks with them the experience sticks with them it's two type of kids that go the American kid that uh, was born and raised here black or white uh, is excited and uh, it's new stuff they don't read it in the books to be able to walk it has generated some kinds of emotions out of them then it's like planting a seed in them then some of them come back and remain active. Others will see that seed sprout later in life that they'll remember. I went on a trip once and that and I saw this and that. And that, that's the benefit of my going annually, constantly getting, you know, energized and renourished and that and convinced even if back here it's not received, down there they validate what I'm doing is correct. So there's that one kind of kid. Then there are the new American kids who have the challenge of understanding language first and American culture and reading and really not being able to afford the time to do that. They can't afford to wait until they learn the language, you know, because people who hate people of color, people who see color, see them when they come. They don't see that they knew American. They don't see that they don't know anything about slavery or the N-word. or They don't see that these are different people and that. And those students knew when they came that even though they don't know much about the black kids, they know that the black kids are African. The black kids don't know that they're African. So when they go on this trip, they can see we're the same. 
just generations, you know, they come away with a greater appreciation of what 400 years of injustice has done to people of color in this country, both the native and the new American. And so I've seen the benefit of the new American being able to not have to wait till he learns how to read and understand the culture and all that by just going on the trip and feeling the dirt and hearing the story and seeing the impact it has on the others and that it brings them closer together with the African-American students who are native of, of uh, the United States. And so um, I, the, the, lately in the trip, I've made a concerted effort to make sure new American kids go. Absolutely. And that recognizing that uh, the benefit of our knowing who we are and each other, I may not realize it in my lifetime, but long after Gary Horton is gone, uh, this community, our country, may reap the benefit of the students whose lives we've touched and that by bringing this kind of education and motivation uh, to them. Uh, we recite this here and that that came from Tusk from down there on the trip. Yeah. Uh, I use, I don't have to use Gary, what Gary Horton said and that there are too many other people, too many other tools that we picked up over the years along the way to reinforce uh, of what they saw in that one week. I have to believe that there's going to be a return on that investment. And I do believe that that trip in uh, ways that I, we may never imagine or see the benefit to every student who had the privilege of going. Thanks for listening to this Q&A podcast. Hear more podcasts like it at goeerie.com slash topics slash podcasts.